Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Great is the faithfulness of the Lord. Amen. I was uh, talking to a young man this week, and we were just discussing about life and how hard life is. And we got to a point in the conversation where I asked him about his salvation. And he said, I've never received Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. And right there this week, he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I praise God that God is still in the saving business. He still saves people. Great is the work of God and the handiwork of God. Well, my name is Shane. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to have you in the Lord's house. I want to welcome each one of you, especially our guests. Thank you so very much for being here. I hope you brought your Bibles today. I want to encourage you to find Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. And while you're finding your place, as they were singing that song, I couldn't help but think about a funny story about a children's Sunday school teacher and as that children's Sunday school teacher was teaching her class, she shared with her class or asked them a question. She said, now, students, I want you to think about this. If I were to have a big garage sale and sell everything that I had, if I sold my car and then I turned around and sold my house, would I go to heaven? And the students all in one accord said, no, no, you wouldn't go to heaven. And then the teacher said, well, let me ask you this. If I sold all that stuff and then I went to the church every single day and I cleaned that church every day and I mowed the yard every day and I kept everything tidy and neat, then would I go to heaven? To which the children again said, no, no, that doesn't get you to heaven. And so she said, well, let me ask you then, how do I get to heaven? And then one little kid raised his hand. He was, oh, just so vigorously. She said, yes, Billy. He said, that's simple. You've got to be dead to go to heaven. Well, he's not wrong. You, you do have to be dead. Many of us know exactly uh, how that uh, particular uh, thought hits you. When I read another story about a wife who got so mad at her husband, she packed his bags and told him to get out. And uh, as he walked out the door, she turned and she spoke to him real harshly and said, I hope you die a long, slow, painful death. To which he stopped and turned around with his bags in his hand and looked at him and shrugged his shoulders and said, So you want me to stay? <laughs> In this passage of Scripture we're about to read this morning, I want you to notice today that Paul's missionary journey that he's on, when you think about everything that he went through, he should have been dead. He's been dragged out of, the, out of cities. He's been plummeted with rocks. He's been beaten with rods. He's been thrown into prison. He suffered at the hands of the Romans, to which he was a citizen. Uh, we find that in most cases, most cases we'd find that we just quit, but not Paul. Paul knew that sharing the gospel was risky business, and he also understood that God had given him several individuals to help him share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy. They're all on their second missionary journey, and they're in the providence of Macedonia. They left 
they have just left Philippi, and as they left Philippi, they took Luke, and Luke is reportedly, that's where his home is in Philippi, and so they left Luke in Philippi, which left Timothy, Silas, and Paul, and they're taking the gospel out of Philippi into Thessalonica. The events of this mission has been exciting, but also terrifying. The things that happened to Paul and the team are enough to cause the average Baptist to quit. But this morning, I want you to see from Scripture how they stayed faithful to their biblical responsibility. If you're our guest today, I've been preaching through the book of Acts, and I've entitled this whole book uh, in regards to an overarching theme, is living with biblical clarity. What our culture needs today more than anything is to see born-again children of God that believe the Word of God, and the Word of God has changed them to the point where they live their lives with biblical clarity. And so we're finding as we look at this first century account on how the church was birthed and what those individuals, that is disciples, apostles, how they live their life, how does that relate to you and I in the 21st century? And when we look at this passage of Scripture all through the book of Acts, we find that the Bible is relevant. It is absolutely truth without any mixture of error, and it is good for us even today and carries principles today that you and I can place in our life so that when people see us in town, around town, and throughout town, they see that we love Jesus, and it's more than just a statement that says, I'm a Christian. We actually live our convictions. This morning, I've entitled this sermon in particular as How to Stay Faithful to Our Biblical Responsibility. How to Stay Faithful to Our Biblical Responsibility. Notice what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 1 of chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preached unto you, is Christ, that is, the Messiah. Verse 4, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks and the great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with jealousy and envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down, have come here also, whom Jason received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city. And when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming uh, close, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, 
and search the Scriptures daily, whether those things be true. Therefore, many of whom believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and, not, uh, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, or preached to Paul at Berea, they came together also, and they stirred up the people there. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timothy both stayed there. And that they consorted, or they conducted Paul, or they that con conducted Paul, brought him to Athens, and receiving a commandment to Silas and Timothy for, to, for us to come to them with all speed. And they departed. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the word. Here we have, in this particular passage of Scripture, two accounts. We have the account that's happening in Thessalonica, and then we also have the account that's happening in Berea. It's good to put these two together because when you put these two together, you see that the same thing is happening over and over and over again every time Paul comes into a particular city. And we note here, in specifically in this particular text, that they had a biblical responsibility and they stayed faithful to that biblical responsibility. So too, you and I have the same biblical responsibility that Paul, Timothy... Silas and Luke had. We have that same responsibility. And we need to stay faithful to that responsibility. We find in this passage of Scripture there are four wonderful principles that we can apply to our basic lives on how to stay faithful to the biblical responsibility God's given us. Let me give you these four very quickly. Number one, the first one is this. If you want to be faithful to the biblical responsibility God's given you as a Christian, you got to, first of all, be consistent to the mission. Be consistent to the mission. We find this in verses 1 and 2, and again in verse number 10. Of what, verses 1 and 2, we see it in Thessalonica, and in verse number 10, we see it in Berea. The mission of the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's the mission. What did Acts 1-8 say? Acts 1-8 says, But you shall receive power... After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. This passage of Scripture in particular, this mission, lines exactly with Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, where in that particular passage of Scripture, the Bible says this, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. For Paul and Silas, they did not let the wounds that they just experienced in Thessalonica deter them from the mission they were called to do. And the mission that they were called to do is the same mission you and I are called to do. And that mission is simply this, to get the message of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And that message, we speak with power because we're born again children of God. That is to say, because the Holy Spirit dwells and lives inside of you, you have the power and everything that you need 
to go into any direction, anywhere you go, wherever God places you, and speak a good word about Jesus Christ and to testify of the goodness of God. A lot of times we get rejected from the gospel presentation or we suffer difficulty in our Christian walk and we have a tendency to just throw in the towel and give up. We stop reading our Bible. We stop going to Bible study. We stop going to church. We don't go to worship anymore. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Don't let the current culture and the situation that we're experiencing in the 21st century today, don't let that deter you from the mission God's called us to do. Paul and Silas didn't let it deter them from the mission. And if we're not going to be deterred from that same mission, and if we're going to be consistent to that mission, it's going to entail two particular things. Number one, it's going to involve travel. Travel. Look at what the Bible says again in verse number one. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Ampipolis and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them. I want you to notice in this text specifically that Paul kept on going. He didn't give up even when the going got tough. Remember, Paul is coming from Philippi. What just happened at Philippi? He just got out of prison. Paul and Silas were in Philippi, and they were in a Roman jail where they had been beaten with rods. They had been imprisoned. They had had a tremendous trial take place in their life. Yet the Bible says that they were vindicated and victorious, and they came out with their wounds doctored by the very jailer that whipped them. And that man come to know Christ as his Savior. Then Paul and Silas, as well as Timothy, set out on a 100-mile journey up the Aegean Way, to, in a, excuse me, down the Aegean Way in, in a southwesterly direction to get to Thessalonica. Paul clearly understood that if we got to Thessalonica, which was the capital of Macedonia, he knew that the gospel would spread and would continue to grow all through those cities around it. And then he also knew that by going to Berea, which was located some 50 miles from Thessalonica, there Berea was known as a much lesser, less important town. Uh, the Roman uh, writer Cicero described it as this. It was off the beaten track. That is to say, it was a country place. It's where you'd find, if you would, rednecks. Can I get a witness right there? The bottom line is simply this. After Paul and Silas were beaten, after they suffered severe persecution, they did not allow that persecution to stop them from fulfilling the mission God's called them to do. The application is simple. Don't let your mayhem take you away from your mission. The mission that you and I have as born-again children of God is to go and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Paul clearly understood the imperative of Matthew chapter 28, especially in verse number 19, when Jesus Christ himself said, go. The word go is a present tense imperative verb. It means that as you are going, the challenge for you and I is simply this. As we are going, we are to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So collectively, as Maysville Baptist Church, we live here. We live here. This is where we congregate. This is where we meet. This is where our congregation comes together to worship. 
when we're done here in just a little while, after a Bible study is over, when we leave this campus, the Bible says, as we are going, as we're going to La Hacienda, as we're going to El Perion, can I get a witness? As we're going to these locations, even, here we go, buckle up, even in Walmart, we are to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I had a preacher friend of mine say, he said, Shane, as long as I go to Walmart, I'll never be at a loss for sermon illustrations. As we are going, we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to require some travel. Number two, it's also going to require a technique. It's also going to require a technique. Look at what the Bible says again in verse number two. The Bible says in verse number two, And Paul, as was his manner was, went unto them. Look what the Bible says over in verse number 10. The Bible says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Every time you see Paul go into a city, he has got this technique that he always performs. That technique is to go to the synagogue first. He always went to the synagogue. If you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would underline the phrase, as his manner was. This is giving us the definition here, if you would, that there was this consistent routine of engaging people with the gospel that Paul participated in. I want to ask you a question today. What is your routine to engage people with the gospel? We find in Paul's life, the first thing he did, wherever he went, he looked for the synagogue. He wanted to present the gospel to those individuals, those religious Individuals, He wanted them to know that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And so his manner was, or his custom was, or his routine was, that as he was going from city to city, he always went to the synagogue. Some of you, every morning, uh, you go to McDonald's or maybe the Waffle House, or maybe the Commerce Cafe, or, or maybe the Jefferson Kitchen. You go somewhere. Every morning you have this routine that you go. My question to you is this. Does that routine include the presentation of the gospel? You say, preacher, well, I just live my life like that. I just live my life in such a way. I do lifestyle evangelism. I think your lifestyle is wonderful if you do lifestyle evangelism. But don't forget about your language. Don't forget about the words that come out of your mouth. Make sure that your language matches your lifestyle. It's more about just saying, hey, I'm a Christian, or hey, I go to Maysville Baptist Church. No, the challenge that I have for you today is simply this. Have a routine. What's your routine in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul had a routine. Every single time he was out, as he was going, he would go into the synagogue. My challenge to you is simply this. As you are going about your routine, don't forget to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how you be consistent, how you will be consistent to the mission that God's called us to. But I want you to notice something else. Not only do we see his technique included going into the synagogue, but we also see in verse number 2 that he also reasoned 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what the Bible says, if you will, verse number 2. He goes on to say, And as Paul as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days, here it is, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now, I'd underline that word reason. Why? Because that word is so important. The word reasoned gives us the idea in our English or gives us the root word in our English, dialogue. Dialogue. So what we're finding here is that every time Paul would go into the synagogue, he would have this dialogue with individuals. Now, what's the difference between a dialogue and a monologue? Right now, preaching as I am, the Word of God, it is more in line with what a monologue would be uh, in regards to this issue of uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But a dialogue includes a conversation with someone else. So we're finding here in this passage of Scripture, this term dialogue or this term reason is where we get our English word dialogue. And this dialogue, if you would, is one of which involves a discussion between two or more people. There was this exchange, if you would, a question and answer opportunity where they would ask a question and Paul would answer them. But I want you to notice where it had it's founding. Look at what the Scripture says. The Bible says that as he did this in verse number 2, he did this out of the Scriptures. We're finding that Paul, when he would go in and have a discussion with someone about Jesus Christ, he would always take his finger and he would point to Jesus and he would point to the Old Testament and said, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Jesus fulfilled this account. Jesus is the answer to us fulfilling the law of Jesus Christ, or fulfilling the law of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The challenge that we have today is simply this. What is our routine for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with individuals? If we're going to stay faithful to our biblical responsibility, that is the Great Commission, we've got to be consistent to the mission. Number two, let me show you a second thing very quickly. Not only do we need to be consistent to the mission, but we also need to be committed to the truth. Committed to the truth. Notice what the Bible says again in verse number two. The Bible says in the text that he was there and he, and he stayed with them, in verse number two, three Sabbath days. You see it there. And then he goes on to say he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preached unto you, is Christ. So we find here in this passage of Scripture, as we read, where Paul is going to be committed to the truth. Not only was he consistent in the mission, but he was also committed to the truth. Commitments don't mean what they used to today. Used to, you could do business on a handshake. Today, we have to have contracts. The problem is when that begins to seep into the church of God. When it comes to the church of God, Chuck Colson said this. He said, a Christian without commitment is an oxymoron. He's saying there, if you're a born-again child of God and you can't stay committed, 
to your calling, to your responsibility, that to being the mission of God, which is the Great Commission, or whether that be uh, your commitment to the church and what you're doing, whether that be be a deacon or serve on the finance team or, or serve as a Sunday school teacher. If you can't stay committed to that because you're so wishy-washy, he said, that don't make any sense. He says, that's an oxymoron. It's something that should not compute. So if you're going to be faithful to the responsibility that God's given us to the Great Commission, there are three things in this text we see that it's going to entail. Number one, the first thing it's going to require is your time. It's going to require your time. Look at what the Bible says again. Verse number two, the Bible says that Paul stayed there three Sabbath days. Three Sabbath days is equivalent to three weeks. What we're finding here is Paul didn't go just one time and stopped. No, he stayed consistent in his commitment to the truth. And he knew that commitment to the truth was going to take time. He knew that the difficulties that he was having in his life, the persecution, uh, the being talked about, the being put in jail, the being hit with rods and being persecuted, he knew that if he stopped doing it, he said, man, I just got to take a break. This is not going to work. I can't do this anymore then the gospel message would not go out. And so Paul, in his commitment to the truth, said, I know that it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be tough. But I'm going over into the synagogues, and I'm going to search the Scriptures daily with them. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 11. Again, the Bible says in, in Berea, the same thing happened. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. That is to say, every day after Paul would preach, if you would, on that Sabbath day, they would search the Old Testament and they would make sure, is what he's saying true? And as they did so, they come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. But it didn't just happen overnight. It took time. Number two, here's the second thing. Not only did it take time in their commitment to truth, but it also took thought. It also took thought. So what are you saying? Look again. What the Bible says, chapter 17, verse number 3. We see that Paul was opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And this is Jesus whom I preach to you who is the Christ. The term opening here in this passage of Scripture literally means explaining. Paul used his mind to explain the Scriptures. It carries the idea, if you would, of pointing back to Scripture to explain who Christ said he was. Jesus Christ said he was the Messiah, and Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Paul would point and said, here's the evidence of his Messiahship. He is who he says he is. And he did this with simplicity and with clarity. But not only did he open their mind, the Bible also says that he was alleging. You see that there? The word alleging there in verse number 3 means to place beside. It is an example of expositional preaching. 
It's just like I said when I came in this morning. I hope each one of you have brought your Bibles. I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. I want you to get your pen out, and I want you to look at what the Scripture says. And I want to align the sermon with the Word of God in such a capacity that you can take your pen and you can see right there, it's in the Word of God, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Paul, being committed to that truth, alleges he lines up with the Scripture what he's saying. I said Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He was born, he, was, he, he went to Calvary, he died, and on the third day he rose again. If I make that statement, we ought to be able to find it in the Word of God. And here it is in verse number 3 where Paul says that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preached unto you is Christ. Brothers and sisters, what we're finding here in the text is quite simply an example of expository preaching from the Apostle Paul himself, where he would take the Old Testament and he would turn over into Isaiah and he would say right here is a prophecy about the Messiah, how that he would die on a cross and, and raise up again on the third day. Here is history where not too long ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again. Jesus is the Messiah. It required his thought. It required his time. And number three, it also required truth. Look at what the Bible says in verse number three. He says that Christ must need suffer and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preached unto you is Christ. What is the truth? The truth is this. You cannot share the gospel. You cannot share the gospel and leave out the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in knowing that to be true, comes alongside of these uh, Jews and these Gentiles that are there, these God-fearers that are, that are worshiping uh, the one true God, and he simply says, Jesus Christ is the Messiah because he died and he rose again. And he's the only one in history that has risen up after three days of death. And Paul is committed to this truth. The application for us today is simply this. In our culture today, we are wrecked with relative truth. Relative truth is vastly different than absolute truth. Relative truth says, well, you just believe whatever you want to believe, and as you believe whatever you want to believe, that's your truth to you, and because that's your truth to you, then it's just got to be true. God's a God of love. There's no way he can be a God of judgment, and so in thinking about the God of love, then if you want to be a, a Mormon, then you just be the best Mormon you can be. If you want to be a Buddhist, you be the best Buddhist you can be. If, if you want to be Islam, you just be the best uh, Islamic you can be. You just be faithful and committed to your religion and we'll all end up in the same place. Paul, and I testify with Paul in this, and say he's 100% right. He says, no. That cannot be true. Religion will never get you to heaven. Only Jesus can get you to heaven. And the way that Jesus gets you to heaven is that he died on the cross where he took your sins, placed them upon himself, and suspended between heaven and earth, said, it is 
finished. He satisfied the wrath that God required because of sin on mankind. And he paid that punishment for us. And they put him in a tomb and death grabbed Jesus. But it didn't know what to do with it once it with him once it got a hold of him. You see death could only hold the creator of this universe three days. And it'd been sooner than that if he wanted it to be. But on the third day, the ground began to shake. The, the stone was rolled away, and the guards were as dead men, fell to the ground. And the war, word of God says that Jesus came out of that empty tomb. And he showed them the scars, and the Messiah lived, and he simply says, whosoever comes to me can be born again. We find in the living word of God, the Bible says, Paul is giving testimony. He said, Jesus had to suffer. He had to die. And he had to raise up from the dead. We got to stay committed to that truth. Stay committed to that truth. And then number three, here's the third one very quickly. I got to hurry. My time is getting away. If we're going to stay faithful to our biblical responsibility... Not only must, be we, must we be consistent to the mission, we've got to be committed to the truth, but then number three, we've got to be courageous in making disciples. Be courageous in making disciples. We find this in verses 4 and 5, and also again in verse number 12. Look at what the Bible says in verse 4 and 5. The Scripture says, And some of them believed. They consorted with Paul and Silas, and of devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Cast your eye down again to verse number 12, where the Bible says, Also in Berea, therefore many of them, Believed. The key point that I want you to notice here is being courageous in making disciples, and that is the fact that people get saved when you're committed to make disciples. We find here in this text the hardest thing uh, in sharing the gospel is what I call closing the deal. I mean by getting in an individual to make a decision for Christ. The Bible says in verse number 12 that these individuals, whether they be a few or whether they be many, they believed. The Bereans' heart were more open to the message of the gospel of Christ, which gives me insight to the, just this, this truth. There's something to be said about living a simple life and just believing what the Word of God says. A lot of times we're living in a culture and an age where, man, we've been educated far beyond our own intelligence. I mean, we're so educated, we become educated idiots. Uh, we think that in order for us to be so smart, I mean, we're so smart, then we've got to change marriage, we've got to change gender, we've got to change all of these things in our culture that we're changing on the basis of theories of science. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today. Christianity is not a theory. It's a fact. It's a truth. Jesus really lived. Jesus really died. And the tomb really is empty. Nobody came in and stole his body. In fact, 
There was nobody needing really to worry about coming in and breaking in. They should have been thinking about him breaking out. Because the Messiah, the Savior, is the creator of this world. And if we're going to make disciples in this uh, culture that we're in, then we must be courageous in making disciples. Paul and Silas were so courageous in making disciples in a time where persecution was ramping up and individuals were being persecuted for their faith. I want you to notice the results of Paul and Silas's uh, courage. Number one, the first thing we see is that people trusted Christ as Savior. People trusted Christ as Savior. Again, in verse number four, the Bible says, and some of them believed. That is, some of them made a decision for Jesus Christ. Some of them said, we understand that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. He is the Messiah. It lines up with the Scriptures. We believe that, and we do, as Paul told the Romans, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, and we give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Same thing in Berea, verse number 12. The Bible says they believed. The Bereans' hearts were more open to the message of the gospel, and they quickly received Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice the difference. The difference is the Bereans searched the Scriptures daily. So as they searched the Scriptures daily, they were waiting for the Messiah and the message of the Messiah. And when they heard that message of the Messiah, we read about that. We know it's true. And they trusted Christ as their Savior. The first thing you see in courageous disciple-making is people get saved. There's trust. Number two, the second thing you see is transformation. Transformation. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 4 again. The Bible says not only did some believe, but there were others that consorted with Paul and Silas. Now what in the world is that? What does it mean to be consorting with Paul and Silas? I'm going to get a little technical here, but it's so neat to watch how God works. Now remember, these are God-fearing Gentiles that are in the synagogue. Not only that, but there are some Jews in the synagogue too. There's a young man in there by the name of Jason. Uh, Jason is there, and it's Jason there. He's a Jew. Everything points to the fact that he's a Jew. The term Jason is a Jewish term. Uh, it was given to the Dysphoria Jews that were coming out of the Babylon, uh, Babylon exile. And so he, here's Jason is in there. He gets saved. Several God-fearing Gentiles get saved. And then the Bible says all of those people that got saved consorted with Paul and Silas. It is a verb that means to align with or to cast your lots to. It means that they made a conscientious decision to say we're going to join with them because we know what they're saying is true and we put our trust in that uh, truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So we find that it is a verb in its part of speech. The tense is in the aorist tense. That is, it emphasizes on a particular action. And that is, the, the, this concept of this verb, if you would, doesn't care about what happened in the past. It doesn't matter what happens in the present. And it doesn't matter what happens in the future. They don't care what's going to happen to them. They're putting themselves all in. They're all in. They're ready to say, listen, we are here and we're ready to move with you. We know that you were punished in the, in the past because you're a Christian. We understand that people don't like you today because you're a Christian. And we know that in the future, it's not going to get any better. We understand this, and we're willing to take the risk with you. And then watch this. It's also in the passive voice, which means they align themselves with Paul and Silas and not the Jews. It means they rejected 
Judaism and said, we do not want anything to do with false religion. We want everything to do with Jesus and his Messiahship. And so they went towards, if you would, them on their own. Paul didn't say, well, now you got to join us. But Paul didn't have to say, well, now you got to get in the baptismal pool. He didn't have to make them. They did it by their own free will. The mood that this, this term uh, consorted in is what's, in what's called the indicative mood. The indicative mood always is just a simple statement of facts with no explanation. So what we're saying here is they did this by their own free will. It's a statement of fact. The fact is they got saved, and without being told to, they threw everything that they had, if you would, into the bucket of Jesus, and we said, we're going with you. We don't care what happens. And then we find also that it is in the third person, which is talking about all the converts that day. Not just some of them, but all. Whether they be a few or whether they be many, every one of them did the same thing. And then we find it also, that truth being in the plural, which says many of them in verse 4 and also uh, verse number 12, many of them. And in verse number 4, some of them, we find that every one of them in the plural, there were more than one person that gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying there was a transformation that took place in their lives that only Jesus Christ could do. And then here's the, here's the, the, the third thing in regards to being courageous. There'll always be some that'll turn away. Verse number five, look at what the scripture says. But the Jews which believed not were moved with jealousy. <clears throat> and they took unto themselves certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Anytime people receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, somebody's not going to like it. I remember when I got saved, the first time uh, I, I uh, told someone that I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, I had a family member. They looked right at me and they said, well, I'll be glad when that's over. That's not going to last long. There are individuals that don't like it when people get saved. Why? Well, because some in the culture think the giving saves it is you just got religion. You see, when I got saved back in 1988, I did not get religion. I got a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we find here that these individuals who did not receive Christ, they turned away. And as it happened in Pisidian Antioch, and also in Iconium, and also in Lystra, on the, their very first missionary journey, here are these individuals every time, every city, every time, you have the synagogue, You've got uh, the gospel. You've got people being saved. You've got people being baptized, joining arms and locking arms and saying, let's win our city to Christ. And then you've got a riot every time. The gospel comes to divide. And we see that it divided, if you would, here. The religious from those who had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that these individuals became envious and they were so angry that they got this mob together so that they could assault Paul and Silas. I remember many years ago when I was a youth pastor, I won a boy to Christ, and I watched him grow. Man, God was doing a work in his life, and he came to me privately one day, and he said, Pastor Shane, he said, I really feel like the Lord's calling me into ministry. I said, oh, that's wonderful. I said, do you know the specifics of where God's calling you? He said, no, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure exactly where God's calling me. He says, but here's something that I would like to do. 
I'd like to graduate from high school next year. And I'd like to spend one year on the mission field, just one year to figure out, to see if God wants me to be a missionary. I thought, man, that's a great idea. That's something wonderful. I praise the Lord for that. Unfortunately, his father was lost and didn't know Christ as his Savior. And his father forbade him. He said, you will never go on the mission field. The boy was so discouraged by his father's demand that he stopped coming to church. He saw no hope, and he walked away. He still loves Jesus. He still goes to church. But the calling that God had on his life burns inside of him like embers. I've met individuals over the course of my ministry who could relate to that, and they said, Pastor, I feel the same way. I know God has called me to ministry in some way, but I'm telling you, I never answered that call because someone discouraged me or distracted me. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to be courageous. And then number four is my time is gone. The fourth thing I want you to see in regards to being faithful to our biblical responsibility. The fourth thing you see is that we've got to be calm in the face of conflict. Be calm in the face of conflict. Do you see what happened in verses 5 through 9? And again in verses 13, 14, and 15. Just as usual, Paul and Silas, as they presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, he made those Jewish religious individuals jealous and angry. The Bible says that they got this mob together. And when we look at this text, we basically see two things. We see the testimony of Thessalonica, and we also see the testimony at Berea. There are two testimonies that we see here in this passage of Scripture. And I close, if you would, with the testimony in Thessalonica. Jason, again, was a Jewish convert whose name was common because it always pointed to, the, again, those Babylonian exiles that came out of, out of Jer Jerusalem, if you would, during the Babylonian exile. They would call their children Jason. And so Jason was of that heritage, of that lineage. He was a Jew, came out of the exile. Here he is living in Thessalonica. He hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, gives his heart to the Lord, throws in his lot with Paul and Silas and says, I'm all in. I am ready. I am showing up for duty. Here I am. Let's get busy. Let's get to work. And Paul says, let's have church at your house. He says, all right. And so we see, and some scholars have even argued that the church at Thessalonica begins right here in Jason's house, beginning in chapter number 17 in verse 5. But the Jews were so upset that Jason has now become a born-again child of God. They go into the marketplace. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, they were moved with envy, and they took unto them certain lewd fellows. I would underline that. Certain lewd fellows. These are thugs. These are evil men, and all they want to do is fight. That's all they want to do. You know somebody like that? You know somebody, all they want to do is fight? So that's these individuals. And the Bible says that they were of the baser sort. That means they were vulgar individuals. They, they, their, their language was atrocious. There's these vulgar individuals that are aggressive. All they want to do is fight. And so the Jews came around them, and they stirred them up, the Bible says. They stirred them up as they gathered this company. And they set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them, that's Paul and Silas, out 
to the people. They wanted to bring them out and drag them out. The only problem was that they were not there. The Bible says in verse 6, when they didn't find them there, they saw Jason, they got Jason, and they drug him to the city, in the city center, and they made two accusations against him. Number one, the Bible says they have upset the world, and Jason is with them. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you what, it'd do us a good dose in our culture today if there were some Christians that upset the world. We need to turn this world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The verb here that we're finding in this means to stir up, to excite, to unsettle some people. We find in the New Testament it occurs uh, in chapter 21 again and in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 12. We need to turn the world upside down. We need to stir up this culture, if you would, not, not to rebellion, not to a civil war, but stir it up to revival that we get back to where we need to be with Jesus Christ. Number two, there's a second thing here. The second is that uh, he called them revolutionaries of a political realm. says that you're advocating allegiance to a different king who has a different set of standards. Look at verse number 7. He says, whom Jason has received and all, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. The only problem with this accusation is they got it wrong. Jesus is not another king, he is the king. And so this accusation was wrong. But what I want you to notice here is I want you to notice how Jason reacted. You'll never find him again. There is a place over in Galatians where it is Jason. It's debatable on whether or not it's him. But this is the only place you find the story of Jason right here in the Word of God. But I want you to notice how he responds. He didn't pitch a fit. He didn't get agitated. In fact, the Bible doesn't say anything about his demeanor, his countenance, or anything. All the Scripture tells us is this. In verse 8, it says, And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city, and when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and the others, they let him go. So what does that mean? It just simply means that they went to Jason, and they said, Jason, here's the deal we're going to make. We're going to let you out on bond. You pay this bond, but here's the thing. Paul has got to go. He can't stay in Thessalonica anymore. He's got to get out of here. Paul agrees to this, and the Bible says, according to the Word of God, that they let him go. Paul later says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, and again in chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 16, he said, I, don't, I didn't get to spend as much time in Thessalonica as I wanted to, because the devil got in the mix. His heart's desire was to stay and continue to share the gospel in Thessalonica. But the Bible says that he was pushed down into Berea where many people got saved. Brothers and sisters, the challenge that we find here in this particular passage of Scripture is really basically fourfold. If we're going to stay consistent and faithful to the responsibility that the Bible has given us in the Great Commission, then there are four things you and I must do. We must first of all be consistent to the mission. I want to ask you a question. How many people did you share the gospel with this past week? So, Pastor, I, I'm not real excited about that. I, I, in fact, I don't even want to say. 
I'm embarrassed by it. Could I challenge you with this? Would you recognize that God has one group of people that are responsible for the, the Great Commission? That's us. And God is calling each one of us to go and to share the gospel, which means we got to have a technique. It doesn't mean all of us have got to take faith. It does mean that we all got to share the gospel. I want to challenge you today to be consistent to the mission God's called us to. Number two, I want to challenge you to be committed to the truth. This is the truth. The one thing we've rejected today and have put aside, Jesus says, let's be faithful to the truth. Number three, be courageous in making disciples. The hardest thing in making disciples is bringing them to that crossroads, saying, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to reject him? Are you going to neglect him? Or are you going to receive him? Number three, we've got to be courageous in making disciples. Number four, we've got to be calm in the face of conflict. The Bible tells us that our battles are not with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy is not your boss, is not your wife, is not your neighbor. The enemy is the devil. And if he could get you to keep your mouth shut about who you really are, he's done his job. Regardless of what you've been through, let's stay faithful to our biblical responsibility. Would you join me as we pray? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, maybe you're here and maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you're here and you'd like to trust Christ, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look right at this way. If you prayed and asked Jesus to save you today, I want to welcome you to the family of God. We're going to have a good old-fashioned gospel invitation here in just a moment. I'm going to ask us all to stand, and we're going to have what we call an altar call. And I want to invite you today to come to the altar and to share with me, if you would, that you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our fellowship. I'm going to come down here and I'd love to receive you. If you want to say, yeah, preacher, I'd like to know what my next step is in coming to be a part of, be a member of this church. I want to help share that with you today. Would you come? And then number three, maybe you're a born-again child of God. That is, you've trusted Christ as your Savior. But you don't have a technique in sharing the gospel. And maybe the Lord has just really pushed on your heart this morning saying, Sir, ma'am, you're the only way that the gospel's going to get out. And so whether God's burdening you to track distribution or sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever, whatever method, would you come and say, God, I'm committing to you. I'm committing to you today. I want you to show me what my technique is to share the gospel. Would you do that today? Father, have your way in this invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more 
information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.